as you talk to puzzle constructors and, and the things that puzzle constructors like, you know, sympathize with each other about, a lot of it goes into grid making. And I think clue writing, there, there is an art to clue writing and, and to writing really like engaging, fun, accessible clues and also writing clues that have really devious wordplay that's also very fair. It's actually a reflection of society. If something happens in, in our culture at large, it's usually represented somewhere in the grid. Um, or at least you'd hope it is. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org donate. That's stlpr.org donate. Crossword puzzle makers Matthew Stock and Sid Shivakumar recently notched a high honor. A puzzle they wrote together has been published in the New York Times. The two St. Louis puzzle enthusiasts met less than two years ago on Facebook, and they join us today to talk about their work and their collaboration. So Matthew Stock, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. And Sid Shivakumar, welcome. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me, too. So, Sid, I was, I was kind of amused to see you guys met on Facebook. Something good has now come out of Facebook. How did you guys first connect there? <laughs> yeah, uh, social media has really brought together a lot of people um, in the puzzling world. There is a, a Facebook group called the Crossword uh, Collaboration um, Puzzle Directory, um, Constructors Directory, and it's where Crossword Constructors, which is the name for... Um, uh, for people who make crossword puzzles, uh, have all congregated to form a space where they can talk about making crossword puzzles um, and uh, their tips and tricks and forming mentorship bonds. So um, Matthew and I, independently, before we met, had both uh, uh, become interested in crossword puzzles and making them. So we both joined that group. And when we found out when Matthew had made a post saying that he's in St. Louis, um, I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm also in St. Louis, and would you like to meet up and talk about puzzles? And, and that's how we connected over I think, Facebook. I think that's so cool. You know, there's so much research about how hard it can be for men to make friends after college. Matthew, did it feel <laughs> awkward when you first met up in real life? You know, I think it, it really didn't. I mean, Sid and I are, are very close friends now, and, you know, as would befit any two puzzle constructors meeting for the first time, we met at the Board Game Cafe Pieces of course. Um, here in St. Louis. And so... Um, I remember we, we got there and we kind of made small talk for like a little bit, talked about our lives and made, you know, brief introductions. And then like Sid pulled out his computer and I pulled out his com uh, my computer and I was like, okay, you know, here are the puzzles I'm working on. And he was like, here are the puzzles I'm working on. And, you know, we talked about puzzles for like over three hours. Oh, wow. So, you know, you, it was you really, immediately, you got right to the long, chase. <laughs> yeah, we enjoyed, we enjoyed some good food. We did play like a board game, but I would say like 90% of the night was just like, exchanging ideas and showing each other what we were working on and it was like from there I would say you know we text all the time now about puzzles and we you know do video calls and we you know we talk about it all the time. So Sid would you guys say that you have a, a puzzle philosophy in common or did you have different ways of looking at this and enjoyed bouncing off the differences? That's a really good question. Um, I think that that our puzzle philosophies, I don't want to speak on behalf of Matthew, but I think I, it's safe to say that our puzzle philosophies follow our life philosophies. Hmm. Um, we're both um, in our mid-20s, um, a product of a, of a social media generation. And so the things that we find interesting in puzzles are 
are things that that are related to modern life and um, and the technological world that we live in, and that's even you know become more accentuated during the pandemic. Um, I think that uh, we have tremendous we've learned a lot from each other. Um, so Matthew has a complementary skill set to the one that I have. I would I would totally say that, and we've learned to to sort of blend our, our skill sets as we built more puzzles together. Tell um, me about those skill sets. Who's good at what? I th- I'd, like to say, I'd like to say we're both pretty well-rounded at this point, but when we were both starting out, I think I was much more focused on uh, laying out interesting grid patterns, mm-hmm. um, you know, like a 15 by 15 grid. Um, and I think Matthew excels at writing very fresh, interesting, fun clues. And I always found cluing, right, clue writing to be the most boring part of, <laughs> of writing a crossword because the grid, you, you first you make the grid and then you've got, you know, 70 or more clues to write. And it, that just seemed like more busy work to me than anything. But Matthew has showed me that that's a very important part of the process because it's the first thing that solvers interface with. They don't interface with the grid first. They read the clues first. Um, and so that's, I think, where, where our skills lie, but we've both learned from each other. Matthew, I'm glad you've gotten through to sit on this front. The clues are <laughs> everything. I, I Just as a casual puzzle doer, I'm shocked that, that somebody could be geeking out so much over the grid that they would forget oh about God. the clue. Did you have to sort of have a, a come-to-Jesus moment with Sid on this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think, like, as you talk to puzzle constructors and, and the things that puzzle constructors, like, you know, sympathize with each other about, a lot of it goes into grid making. And I think that, hmm. you know, clue writing, there, there is an art to clue writing and, and to writing really like engaging, fun, accessible clues and also writing clues that have really devious wordplay that's also very fair. Um, I think when people are getting started, right, building the grid is really daunting. And then seeing those skills develop is, is I think, a much easier thing to notice your progress over time. And hmm. so I know like when I when we you know, first pulled out our laptops and we were showing each other the different grids we'd made, like Sid's grids blew mine out of the water. And hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, this is the level that I need to be at with this if I you know, want to consider myself a successful puzzle maker. And it was, you know, it was really great having someone who was close to me to be able to chase that and be able to say, okay, I, this is how good it can be. Um, but I think cluing wise, I mean, I always love to bring things that'll make people smile to a puzzle. And like my, you know, independent puzzle website is called Happy Little Puzzles. And I think like if I can get somebody to smile or laugh or groan a little bit um, while solving a puzzle, then I think I've succeeded as a puzzle maker. Matthew, part of what I I like about your puzzles is these are not puzzles written for 80-year-olds. And it's great to have puzzles written for 80-year-olds. I understand there's a lot of people very good at crossword puzzles who are older. You've got a lot of fun pop culture references in there. You're also looking for cultural representation beyond just white bread America. Is that something that editors are okay with? Or do they know that their core constituency uh, might not catch all those references? Yeah, I, I think it's a really great question and one that's really, I think, at the, the forefront of crossword puzzle making and solving right now, especially as, you know, more and more outlets are pouring more resources into making puzzles. Um, I think different editors' philosophies vary from publication to publication, but it's definitely something that a lot of people are thinking of, you know, as the puzzles become more popular and are solved by more people. I think this idea of, like, who is solving my puzzle becomes more and more, like, amorphous or unclear. And for me, you know, I like to make puzzles that, you know, I would enjoy solving myself as a young person who, you know, enjoys learning new things about different cultures. Um, And, you know, I also want to be, of course, respectful of things that I 
you know, may not know, and I am learning and putting in grids for the first time. Hmm. Sid, I understand you've now had um, about a half dozen puzzles in the New York Times. You've had others in USA Today. Do you think editors of crossword puzzles are interested in hearing from new and, and younger voices? Uh Sure. Uh, I actually haven't been published in the USA Today yet, but Matthew's had, I think, a couple dozen puzzles or something ridiculous in, in the USA Today. He's very prolific. Ah. Um, but uh, yes, I do think that um, there are there are a lot of new voices in crosswords. And what um, what comes to mind for me is that it's important to be able to represent um, a wide variety of, of voices. Um, and that's not just younger people. We we love to hear, as you say, people who are older. Um, we we love to hear, we love to hear from people from whose voices are not always represented in the puzzle. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm of South Asian descent, and so my journey to crosswords was actually a reckoning with things in the New York Times that I felt were uh, were outside of my wheelhouse. Hmm. And at first, it it felt like. Um, like I was not good enough to solve puzzles. Like I didn't have the same lexicon. Like I didn't have the same knowledge base, and therefore I was lesser. And as I've as I've gotten more and more into the cross world, as we call it, um, I've realized that, um, or the puzzle verse, as Matthew calls it, um, I realized that it's it's <laughs> I really love word heads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, lovely portmanteaus. So um, I realized that it's it's more so that. Uh, the the people that are editing and writing crosswords primarily the constructor pool and the editor the editorial pool simply doesn't share the same experiences that I do mm -hmm. so that's an opportunity for me as someone who is more likely to to clue okra in relation to a curry rather than succotash or gumbo to bring that experience to the puzzle um, and the goal is not to to necessarily to to, to be a uh, I told you so moment or gotcha moment but more so just to be able to bring in more people to the fold of solving. Um, I want people who look like me and sound like me and talk like me and eat like me to be solving puzzles too, because largely they're, they're, if they encounter uh, an, a white actor from the 1950s or yet another golfer or another baseball reference, they might be much less likely to get into this brilliant and beautiful hobby with a vibrant community. Hmm. We're talking today to two local uh, puzzle constructors, that's Sid Shivakumar and Matthew Stock. They just had a puzzle that they wrote together, published in the New York Times. Uh, they're both uh, prolific uh, puzzle makers. We'll give you their websites here in a minute so you can check out their work. Sid, I'm curious, you mentioned that you know, you're coming in where not all of these clues in traditional outlets made sense to you, um, coming from your background. What first got you interested in solving puzzles, not in making them, but in, in trying to fill them out? So my mom was is a big puzzle person. Um, she grew up in India in Mumbai, and she solved the Hindu crossword, which is a, a newspaper crossword in India. It's a cryptic style, so the clues are not straightforward, but they involve some wordplay in the clues themselves. Um, and when I was six, uh, we were sitting down, and she had printed out a stack of Hindu crosswords, and she was solving them. And I immediately was drawn to the black and white squares and how pretty it was. It was symmetrical, and there were these words. And I barely understood the concept of a crossword in the puzzle, but it instilled in me a love of, uh, of contained um, and self-consistent structure hmm. in a grid. Um, and that's why I got into Scrabble, and I played Scrabble for several years until until high school and then in college I got into solving the New York Times which is how I think a lot of people get into solving the crossword puzzles in, in America at least. Um, that's because the New York Times is, has an excellent marketing team, their app is fantastic and they have this mini puzzle that really draws in people and as I started solving the minis I eventually got into solving these big 15 by 15 puzzles and 21 by 21s on Sundays and 
I realized that there's a lot more to puzzles than just meets the eye. It's actually a reflection of society. Mm. Um, if something happens in, in our culture at large, it's usually represented somewhere in the grid, um, or at least you'd hope it is. And so it became much more a commentary within this beautiful format, this medium, this palette with black and white squares, about society rather than simply a diversion. And I understand that people who are waiting in an airport somewhere who just pick up a crossword book are not really thinking of it maybe necessarily as a commentary on society or as a literary form. But I like to elevate it to the form of art because I see it as uh, a, a really deep um, uh, representation. You have 72 words in a puzzle it w with which to represent your culture and your society and the zeitgeist of the times. And I find that to be brilliantly uh, engaging. Wow, I love I love what you just said there. I'm, I'm so intrigued by that, and it makes sense that um, you know these best puzzles are the ones that are most talked about. They're there in the newspaper. This is sort of a snapshot of the moment that we're in. That's it's such an interesting way to think about it. Matthew, do you have a similar story of of how you ended up getting into uh, crossword puzzles originally? Yeah, I I also started solving crosswords in college. Um, I had an internship one summer that I had a lot of commute time, and I or on on a train, and and I downloaded the New York Times crossword app just kind of on a whim. I was like, maybe this is the type of thing that I'll, you know, be able to learn how to do. And at the time, you know, I would do the Monday puzzle, the Tuesday puzzle, like the Wednesday would take me my entire commute to work <laughs> and back. And I wouldn't even try like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because I just knew they were too hard. Yeah. Um, and then when I got back to school, I realized that my, my college newspaper syndicated the Los Angeles Times puzzle. So I would do that one every day over breakfast. Um, and then I actually got into constructing by attending a crossword puzzle tournament in Boston called Bossworks. Um, it was in the summer of 2018, and I showed up on a whim, and there's a gym full of, you know, a couple hundred people who are all sitting down and spend the afternoon just speed-solving crosswords, and you get points for being fast and for also not missing letters. Um, but at the beginning of every puzzle, they would, like, say the name of the puzzle, and then they would say, and this puzzle was by so-and-so, and, you know, that person would be standing up in front of the crowd, and everyone would clap for them and it was really exciting and so I just kind of walked up to those folks afterwards and said you know this is something that I could maybe see myself doing and mm -hmm. you know I really love it because it's it's a really nice synthesis of like left brain right brain um, thinking you know there's a lot of analytical like um, you know scientific precision and stuff that you have to when you're laying out a grid and you have like a blank white 15 by 15 grid and you're like okay where am I going to put black squares that make my life the easiest. And then it's, you know, a huge optimization problem from there, right? How can I put the most interesting stuff in the grid with the least, like, terrible gunky stuff? Um, but there's also, there's a lot of creativity to it, right? Like, what theme is going to make people laugh? What clues are going to make people, you know, really feel something or feel seen? Um, so I think the overlap there is something that really has, like, kind of kept me hooked and enthralled in, in finding new things over and over again. And, and Matthew, I know you're a Dallas native, but you teach ninth grade algebra. You're part of the AmeriCorps program in East St. Louis. Are your students at all into this uh, side project that you have? Yeah, I, I teach for a program called Blueprint Schools Network, which has um, a location. We teach at every school in the East St. Louis District 189. Um, and when I first started teaching last year, it was still when I was getting into puzzles myself. But um, when Sid actually bought me a New York Times MIDI page a day calendar at the beginning of 2020. This is back when we were you know, still in school in person. And I brought it to school and my students would start coming up and you know, filling in a letter here and there, filling in a word here and there, or being like, you know, Mr. Sock, like, what's this weird French word? I'm like, oh, you know, it, it, it means this. And sometimes you see it in English here. And you know, these kids were you know, coming to my room during lunch to you know, 
fill out these little puzzles and sometimes they would flip a few days ahead. I have to be like, no, don't do that. You know, <laughs> like we'll, we'll have to get there when we get there. Um, and then I realized, you know, well, this is something that, that they can also do. And so I started bringing my laptop to school. Um, and I figured out with, you know, one student sitting down, we usually could come up with like a little five by five puzzle. They could fill it in and write the clues. We could probably do it in about a half hour, which hmm. was usually our lunch break. And so Sometimes students would just come in, you know, they would always come hang out with our team and then we would make a little puzzle together, print it out, and they would like go give it to their teacher for next period and they were like super excited about it. And, you know, I remember like one student even was just like, I want to put my name right in the middle. You know, Hmm. his name was five letters. And I was like, perfect, like, let's put your name right in the middle of the puzzle. And he's like, you can just do that. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, you can, you can do whatever you want to do. So, you know, it was a really wonderful thing to see them kind of taking to this thing that, you know, they may not have seen other people you know, in their world, like doing the puzzle regularly, the way that like, you know, I grew up with the New York Times puzzle, certainly like being in the, in the vernacular and like in the world that, that I was going through. That, yeah, that is so cool. You're passing it on to the next generation here. And, and Sid, I also want to mention what you do in real life when you're not making puzzles. You're a, you're a medical student. How does puzzle making um, fit in with all the stresses that you're dealing with in, in that full-time, more than full-time occupation? I mean, uh, that's a question where I, <laughs> I'm still figuring out the answer. So uh, I'm an MD-PhD student, so I'm getting a double doctorate at, at Washington University. Um, and what I've realized is that uh, it's really important whenever going through um, a long-term academic marathon or just any experience that requires a lot of concentrated focus on one subject or uh, a variety of subjects, um, to have a hobby that exercises a different part of your brain. Um, I mean, obviously, it's important to have hobbies that exercise your body and exercise your heart, you know, but uh, I mean, your emotional heart, but um, but having something that sort of sharpens your brain uh, in a different way is really important. Um, I found that puzzles, just as Matthew brilliantly put, is uh, is a kind of a, a, a really nice merging of left brain and right brain. But when I solve puzzles, I often find that um, it actually helps me stay more focused on my work. Uh, because you, you do a puzzle for about five or ten minutes, you're subscribing to the, to the universe that the constructor and the editor have created for you. You are, um, sub, you are uh, sub- substituting the reality around you for what's in that grid. Um, and you are allowing yourself to, to immerse yourself in the rule set that they have provided. Um, and there's always a solution. In medicine and in science especially, there's not always a solution. Hmm. Um, and that is sometimes deeply troubling. Uh, from an emotional perspective. So to be able to do a puzzle, either to make one or to solve one, and then have that solution stare you in the face and say, I did this and it's complete. I can, you know, I can tie it up in a neat little bow and say, I've finished it, um, gives me a lot of motivation to continue doing my other work. And I find that it also makes me more uh, engaged with society. It's really easy as a PhD student or as a medical student to get so engrossed and immersed in one field of sub- of study that you forget to engage with the cultural um, uh, sort of uh, elements of our society that are that are happening around us. Um, you know, you forget to listen to music, you forget to watch a movie, you forget to go to a play, and those are things that you get reminded of when you see those references in a puzzle. So I really find that it it definitely improves my ability to approach my work with a certain. Um, motivation. Boy, you guys make such a great argument for crossword puzzle construction and for crosswords as a whole. I've just loved talking to you both so much. And uh, Sid Shivakumar, I want to thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you, Sarah. Sid, great. Sid's website is sidsgrids.com. We'll get that linked on our website too, stlpublicradio.org. And Matthew Stock, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. And Matthew's website is happylittlepuzzles.com. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.